0: Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey there, welcome back to HR Latte. I'm kicking off a brand new series called The 50 Project. There's going to be lots of information released about The 50 Project soon, but I wanted to have this particular guest on my show because he is experiencing something that many, many Americans are experiencing right now, and that's joblessness during the time of COVID. And so without further ado, hey, Steven Reifenstein, welcome to HR Latte.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you here. And in all transparency, I need to tell everybody that I've known Stephen for about 20 years. I think it's going to be 19 years in uh, January when Stephen and I met through a local theater group, the Harbour Depot Theater. And Stephen and I have stayed friends over the years. I attended his wedding. How long ago was that?
1: Almost nine years.
0: Nine years. Unbelievable that it's been that long to to the lovely Christina. But Stephen, I wanted to have Stephen on the show because he is experiencing a hardship that many, many other Americans are right now. So Stephen, give us a little bit of introduction about yourself, what you've done for work, and then we'll jump into what's been happening lately.
1: Yeah. Well, Stephen Reifenstein, i have uh, born and raised in Orange County. I have a career in project controls which is aligns with project accounting and construction cost accounting financial analysis and i've uh, been doing it since over 20 years okay. most of the cost accounting and project controls have been about 18 years of that I've worked for large companies i worked for small mom and pop companies okay and i also have uh you know i have a theater passion as well so that's uh, something I think we'll go into later.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a, a side, side joy that you have in your life. That's how you and I met. I know that you had an employment shift take place back in 2018. Can you tell us what happened there?
1: Yeah, um, I worked for a large oil and energy company in their projects department for nearly 12 years. And things were going great. I was from the beginning Of my employment to the end, I had doubled my salary. I had changed my title three to four times. I think officially it was three, but it was really four. So I had moved up to a manager and I had two direct reports under me. And then the company made a big decision, a big announcement that they gave us about 18 months notice that they were moving everybody that wanted to come to Houston.
0: From California.
1: From California to Houston, from Orange, California out to Houston. So they were going to offer incentive packages for everyone. There was a lot of financial uh, gain to it, but all my family is here. And like I mentioned earlier, I have this theater love for over 30 years, and I have a very involved in the community in that level. So my wife and I decided not to move. Since we had 18 months to decide or to make the change, I found a job in three months. Okay, good. And I moved on to that job.
0: So let's fast forward to 2020. <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> right.
0: And COVID-19 impacts the world and really takes a toll on the U.S. economy, uh, along with the world economy. But like many other people, you have experienced somewhat of an employment hardship as a result of COVID. Tell us what happened.
1: Sure. So for about over 18 months, I had actually worked for a new mechanical contractor doing project controls again. And I had the capacity to work from home, uh, really anytime I needed to. I had an office space, but I also traveled around the country. The company was global, but they had their own entity in the United States. And I would support projects all over the place. So first, at the beginning of quarantine, we were told to just work from home. So I was doing Go to meetings and Skype meetings, and uh, Zoom wasn't even that popular yet. Yeah. Uh, and for about two weeks, and on that last day, I got a actually a Skype interruption from a meeting I was holding with the project team from my manager and his boss notifying me that I had been laid off
0: <gasps> while well, you were in the middle of a meeting.
1: I was in the middle of the meeting. I, I <laughs> yeah. I actually messaged them and said, I'm, "I'm finishing up a conversation. Can I call you back?" And they said, "Yes." So okay. they asked. Double them back in because okay, and uh, I did about 10 minutes later, and that's when they told me. I kind of had a feeling because it was both of them, and so yeah. I knew it was coming, but uh, it was still hard felt. Uh, thought that this was going to be the next job that would take me into my you know retirement 25 years from now, right? But
0: then, right. They made that
1: decision. They've been great, they've actually kept in touch. The Good. company is. The company's actually not improving. They've let more people go across the country, but they've written me letters of recommendation and given me ideas of companies that are competitors that I could reach out to. So it's been a very positive transition.
0: Yeah, but let's give a little bit of background on your landscape. You are have a, a lovely wife and two small children, and recently purchased a new home. <laughs> In California, which, you know, is not. And I know that there have been hardships with elderly parents in your family as well. I know that your wife um, recently lost her mother and that was uh, in the middle of quarantine. Right. And so the lots of lots of hardships going on, not just for you, but for many, many individuals out there across the country that are experiencing this. And and Stephen, I'm going to ask you something that we don't normally talk about in this country because it's deemed rude. But you are making fairly decent money, over 100000 right?
1: Yeah, just okay. right there, basically.
0: Okay, so um. making $100,000 a year, you have to do that, plus have a, probably a secondary income either from side gigs or also from your wife working in order to afford a home in California. It's just the way it is in order to pay what we like to call here the sunshine tax, right? And it's, it's not cheap to live in California. So this is a big blow to your family to lose $100,000 a year. How many days have you been unemployed?
1: I've been unemployed for 158 days. 158 today.
0: days, okay.
1: Yeah, and I actually have a little, I wrote an essay that we'll talk about later that was called I'm Not Alone, 100 Days of Unemployment that at the end of it, I actually said I'm starting over after 100. So I call it 58 days plus plus. Okay,
0: one. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good positive way to look at it. Something that you said to me in our previous conversation leading up to this recording was unemployment was not created for people like me. Tell me what you meant by that.
1: You know, I'm a worker that, you know, obviously you mentioned making around $100,000 a year. And when you file for unemployment, the maximum in California is $450 a week. Yeah, that's you You put that together and you're not Paying half of your mortgage with just that amount right let alone bills and uh, utilities and and car payments and child dance classes and so on
0: right all of the things that we do to bring joy to our life and to keep going and try and survive with the best attitude with happiness in our lives and I know that there was the extra the six hundred dollar boost that was coming into, and I also know that you were a little bit more prepared than most for unemployment. Tell me how that came about. And I know that you have a savings account. I mean, that's almost unheard of. I think the number is something like 85% of Americans do not have a savings account. So tell us about that and how that's benefited you.
1: Well, from the beginning of my career, when I started just being in the workforce, I always knew that I would want to save so that someday when I had a family with children, I could save money to help them pay for college versus relying on grants and loans. I wanted to provide them a little extra than I was provided with. My family wasn't poor but growing up, but we were not nearly rich. So I always thought, I'm going to take a leg up and I'm going to save money as hard as I can. I'm going to use 401ks and our IRAs as much as I can. And I've done that until I got married. I just I was very aggressive in what I saved and what I put in my 401k. But then I got married and I just reduced it a little bit until I knew I had to reduce it maybe a little more. And now it was pretty level. So that's put me in a good spot for future. And it's helped me a little get by with the unemployment not being where it is.
0: So I I know that you've been and. I tell this to individuals who are jobless. It is a full-time job to look for a job. You really have to be relentless. You have to be consistently networking. You have to be updating. You have to be meeting new people. You have to be asking for introductions. You have to be researching and studying. I know I've sent you a few articles and I know that you yourself have done research on your own and and have also written an article um, in particular for Facebook and we'll include that in the bio for this particular podcast in the series, The 50 Project. And one of the things I want to ask about now is another sensitive thing that we don't talk about in this country, and that's age. Now, you are um, 44, is that correct? Forty. Yeah, yeah I'm 44, 44 years old. 44 years old. So you're over 40, um, uh, protected class when it comes to employment. And also, you're in. Uh, you had children later in life, so your children are young. I, I mean, they're they're. How old are your kids?
1: I have a five year old and a two year old. So I was 35 when I had my yeah, first child.
0: Five year old and a two year old. So this is interesting that you know you find yourself in this position. You're 44 years old. You are have had a career, a strong, solid, good career. You've done all the things you're supposed to do. You've had a savings account. You've been a conscientious employee. You found a job immediately when you knew you needed to. And now here you are 158 days later, still unemployed. And I'm sure the weight of that is starting to to be really heavy on you. Um, do you think that your age has anything to do with your joblessness at this point? I would say...
1: Yes and no. The yes part would be that most of the jobs I see available are entry level jobs, right? Or even if they're a senior level or a manager role that I apply for them, they tend to go for somebody um, right out of college or a little further in. I have eighteen years experience in that field, project control. So you're almost
0: overqualified. They might think you're overqualified for the job they're looking for, and certainly they would have to pay you more. Than they would a college graduate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so it works against
0: could,
1: you. Yeah, it does. If I yeah. And so then I never get that chance to tell them that. Because if yeah. I had a conversation with them, I could prove to them why they would use me.
0: And why why you would be worth the top dollar. Right. I yeah, mean, exactly. absolutely a a loyal, valued employee with past employers. And I know that you because we're friends, I know that you have some platinum highlights in your beard. So <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> So your beard shows that you are middle-aged and that you have experience, that you're seasoned, you're a seasoned employee. I mean, we have to say all these things not to hurt anybody's feelings. And I can I can get away with this because I'm 57. So I get to say these things to you because you're really just a little whippersnapper still. <laughs> um, I you know, it's frustrating to hear this because you're at the prime, right? You're at the prime time in your life to contribute wholly to an organization. So let's talk about things that you have done and what you're going to do in your job search. I know that you've had to be a little proactive in something. So let's talk about what you've done.
1: I have a list of things that I've done. The very first thing I did, and you dropped a little on this, was I had a conversation with my wife and I said, this is going to be a full-time job, finding a full-time job. So I sat down and we luckily have an extra room in this house. I sat down and set up the desk a little bit better, a little more comfortably than I was when I was working for those right. couple weeks at home. I set a Google Doc where day 1, I actually called day 0 the day I was let go and I put a list of like goals. And then every day I go in there including weekends because sometimes I'm working over the weekends to get a couple hours here and sure. there to come. So that's one of the biggest thing. And the Google Doc has helped me because that gives me a chance to reference and go back and say, hey, when did I follow up with this person and so on? Because I'm very, I'm very detailed with it. But I live on LinkedIn. I connect and network. I've joined a lot of webinars that talk about the connecting and networking. I've had a lot of conversations with people in my field, out of my field, that were all in the same position, all different ages, college to people that are 63 that were ready to, you know, almost ready to retire. And now. Right. Like, I apply to many jobs online, which I'm finding unsuccessful. I'm finding uh, most of it is through word of mouth or connections. I wrote that 100 days of unemployment essay. I find job seeker groups. I've discussed a lot of jobs with recruiters, but most of the time I don't hear back with a position. When I follow up with them, they usually respond and say, hey, there's nothing in that with your resume, with your experience. One big thing I did is I went back to school. I took a summer school course, got an A-plus in it, very happy in management. And now I have an accounting course that I'm focused on. So I'm just refreshing my brain and keeping myself, my brain working so that when I'm ready and I do get the job opportunity, I'll be able to jump right back into it. And one of the other things I take pride in that I I have done, and it's not work-related, but I have met a lot of awesome people was I I started volunteering for the second harvest food bank of orange County. Oh,
0: I love that.
1: And um, oddly enough, they interviewed me on ABC and I had a little uh, fun interview there that, you know, some people reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, let's talk. And usually it was just people being very generous, but they didn't have a job for me. So lots of things. And I'm still finding something new every day. You know, I I have ideas of what I want to do. It's just, uh, now finding the time, if, if I have a call coming up, there, there's just been a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I have some friends of mine that I know that I respect very well, including yourself that have given me a lot of positive feedback and said that these are the right things to do. Right. And I'm not just sitting back saying, oh, the job will come to me. And I have a reason. My motivation is my family.
0: Right. So, Well, you, you have done all the right things. And I'm, I'm proud of the work that you've done. And, and that, you've know you taken advice from people who are experts. I know that you've joined those groups, the job seeker groups, and I know that you've read and you've listened to other people and you've taken the advice that has been shared on how to survive this, how to do it. And I'm confident, Stephen, that a job is going to come your way. I just hope it's sooner rather than later. I know that it's a very anxious time. And that's something I want to talk about too. There's a couple of things, more things that I want to talk about before we say goodbye today, but One of the things, it's kind of been a double whammy for your family, and that is how hard hit the world of entertainment has been as a result of COVID. When you think about movie theaters being closed and live music venues being closed and live theaters being closed, you were very, very active in the Orange County, California community and independent theater scene, um, a sought-after director director. A um, your wife, I know, is a a choreographer and had had a a dance studio also and and was a, a dance teacher. And those things have kind of been put in a box and pushed in the corner for now. So when that was an outlet for you, you know, with the grind of a regular job and it was a joy and an outlet for your family. How are you guys handling that? What are you doing now to survive that missing link in your family and in your life?
1: You know, my wife and I actually met performing. And then shortly after that, we started directing and choreographing together. I direct, she choreographs musicals. And that's that's really what we started to do. And we pretty much don't work without each other. She'll go choreograph shows that there's already a director in place. But if I direct... I bring her in. She's your choreographer. Yeah. Yeah. We have a great team. So we were in the Newport Beach area in a few schools. We had shows ready and we had a show that got postponed and then canceled because theaters still aren't going to be open anytime soon. But we're also very involved. At least we communicate with theaters we've worked for in the past. We know two of them that have closed and I think more are. Some are just holding on by, you know. Uh,
0: Barely holding on, right?
1: Barely holding on. But what we're really doing is just keeping in touch and trying to help with theaters. There were actually two outdoor community theaters out here that did some shows, and one of the theaters we know people and we got to be involved. We went out and volunteered as backstage crew because it was outside and it was a lot of fun. Right. And Good. We got to keep that art in our lives. We all wear masks, including the actors, so that was a lot of fun. But you know what we really do is we just encourage our kids at home, five and two, right? Right. To- To watch some musicals and watch musical things, just listen to music and enjoy. And they love it. They have the knack, and it's just um, it's very prideful and it's a lot.
0: I don't think they have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's in their genes,
1: right? Rehearsals at the high school, right? Take them to rehearsals in their strollers, and because they would work, it would be like a weekend thing.
0: Sure, sure.
1: Go sit in another room, but the kids love them too. The high school kids love them as well, and we were always around, so. You're right. It is embedded, and as soon as my five-year-old is ready, she will be performing when she has the opportunity. She is in a dance class. But you also mentioned my wife uh, had a studio. We had a studio before she got pregnant, and then we shut that down while she had the kids. But yeah. she had just started a preschool dance business. Oh. She was approved for her first school oh. when all shut down. So well, it, I'm we'll ba- come
0: back. It's such a frustrating and hard time. You know, I've been performing since I was, uh, I think my first performance, I was three. And, um, so that's over a half a century for me, you know, and it was such a joy in my life and a release. It it was a release, a relief, a de-stressor, a networking event. Also, you know, I've gotten jobs through theater and, and uh, gained. My greatest friendships through theater, you, I count as one of them. And it's so hard to see our friends that do this full time, right? That this was their career, uh, have them to be in this position and not to be able to do the thing that they love, but also the thing that was their livelihood. And so I'm I'm knocking on wood. I'm hoping, I'm praying, and my fingers are crossed that we, we kick this thing. And we're able to get back. Um, I don't think it's ever going to be the way that it was. I think that there will be precautions in place and, and we're all going to be a little bit more careful about, you know, keeping, um, hi- staying hygienic, washing our hands, using, you know, hand sanitizer and, and wearing masks when, when necessary, that type of thing. I think we've, we've shifted. Uh, it's, there's been a core shift in us in how we can stay healthier and also be ready to fight a virus, right? So keeping our bodies healthier and, The things that we can do to that. One of the things that I know, Stephen, and this might be harder for you to talk about is the mental hardship that COVID and joblessness and the loss of a joy like theater in your life, what that toll is taking on you personally, maybe on your relationship. And I would love for you to share. If you can, a little bit about that and what you are doing, the little things that you are doing to help you get past that, because it's it's tough, it's hard as hell. And I know that for someone like you, who this has been such a big part of your life, being with people, right, working and being with people, it's got to take a toll on you mentally. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, you know, at the beginning when we were strictly quarantined, we um, we had zoom game nights with friends and you know you really couldn't hug anybody and it was fun because you got to laugh but you were playing a computer game online and right then we were meeting with friends just to say hello on zoom meetings and so on but ultimately the thing that's got me through it is is my wife i have a conversation with her nightly because she's going through some of her own things on her family side that she's being she's the backbone of everything. She gives me the support. I try to give her the support, but there are days where I'm just, I'm defeated. I work so hard and I make a list of 10 things I did one day. And, you know, I know that I'm not going to get a response in a day, maybe not even a week, but it just starts to push down on you and make you feel like, you know, you're not smart even. I know what I do is that I'm very good at what I do, but sometimes I just don't feel that. One of the things I do is I just talk to people I respect. I kind of brought touch base on that in this call here. Yeah. But I like to get different perspectives. I believe it fully that I'm not alone and that's holding me on. But there are times where I have to be selfish and think about myself, which I'm doing, but not in a a malicious way. I I care about everyone. I truly am. a. a, have always been a caring person. Yes. I want people to recognize the, the good in everyone. And then I, I see my kids and I watch them love each other and I watch them fight with each other, but I still love it. That, that takes me away for a moment. So having the support in my life, friends that are all around, they'll reach out still my former boss, still writing me text messages. Those are the things that get me through it. But again, my wife, she's the best. And I will, I will constantly give her that because she probably has a lot more stress that I don't even
0: think that she. <laughs> well, I think it's a, um a having sound, open, good, strong communication with the person that you love or a best friend or a sister, brother, mother, father, you know, child. If you're, you know, if you have adult children like I do, you know, they've been a resource for me as well. And I think it's so important for us at this time to be vulnerable. It's really hard because as Americans... We rarely ask for help anyway. Like if you're at your job, you don't turn to the person next to you and say, hey, can you help me? We, we don't do that. We've been raised in a culture to get it done yourself because if you don't do it yourself, then it's a sign of weakness or you're not qualified. And I think we really just need to open up and be vulnerable and tell each other, hey, I need you. I need you to take a look at something. I need you to review something. Can I just talk to you for a little bit? Can I share a story with you? Can you help me through this? And those types of conversations are what we we all need. And I know that there are people out there that maybe don't have a spouse or a partner or somebody that they can speak with. I hope that they are developing relationships or can, for God's sake, call me, call me, (laughs) reach out to me, reach out to Stephen if you know Stephen. And we're willing to have those conversations and help in any way that we can. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show here, Stephen, is that I know that you've done the work and that you are continuing to do the work so that you stay healthy mentally. This is a really tough time. And I know that many people are dealing with anxiety and depression. And I hope that, you know, we can help in some small way by sharing the things that have worked for us. If any advice, can you share with anybody out there that might be listening, something that's helped you, that something that surprised you maybe? Well, so
1: something that has surprised me has been the nature of people that haven't been in my everyday life that are willing to help. So I'll get messages. When I posted that essay back a month and a half ago, right. I, was, I heard from people I hadn't heard from in 10 years that, you know, through social media, you were connected, but you never really had a communication and other con- no conversations. Right. Those people are out there. And for myself, one of the things that, that I am trying to do is I don't always feel right accepting the help, like you mentioned. yeah. But if somebody really wants to help me, I will accept it. But I also want them to know that I may pay forward some of some of that. Absolutely. If it's a a monetary gift, I may give that to somebody else that's in need. It may just sit in my bank account now or you've given me some food like the food bank does. Right. And it's going to sit there now, but I'm going to share it. And especially the sooner I find a job that I won't need it anymore. right? Right. And so I can give it to somebody else in that theater world that I'm from. Right. Um, where all those people are hurting so much. I mean, those people are, they're hurting. And and I shouldn't say those people. I'm one of them. I just didn't choose to be a professional performing art artist. I went down a different path from 20 years ago. They need it. So that's where I think I'll end on that.
0: And in the bio for this show, I'm going to provide some links also for ways that listeners can help Performers who are out of work and not, you know, not making ends meet. I have friends all over the world that have lost their income as a result of COVID because they were in the parks performing, or they were on stage in New York performing, or they were on stage in Los Angeles performing, or they were making films, they were doing makeup on films, they were costuming, whatever they were doing, they were part of this industry, the entertainment industry that has been hit so very hard, much like hospitality and, you know, the restaurant and hotel industry that was hit so badly. And they're starting to come back now. And hopefully, you know, the world of entertainment will. And, and even, you know, if you owned a bowling alley yeah. you're or, or a bar, if you have a bar with your livelihood in California, you know, the bars are still closed here and outdoor dining is all outdoor. So if you didn't weren't didn't have a restaurant in an area where you could set up outdoor a dining area you were in trouble you know your your business suffered so it's important right now when we struggle personally to think of others because it helps lighten our burden when we give to others and I love that you mentioned that Steven so I'll provide a few links that where individuals can help people that are are still out of work and still trying to to make ends meet I just want to thank you so much for taking the last half hour to chat with me. I'll provide your LinkedIn profile too. And if anybody wants to um, help you or connect you with somebody, this is the biggest thing about networking that we often forget. It isn't about the one person that we might meet or that might hear us. It's about who that person knows. It's far bigger. I don't know, Stephen, you might be old enough to remember the Faberge commercial <laughs> when I was a kid with, uh, Farrah Fawcett before she became a Charlie's Angel. She, um, did this commercial for, uh, um, a shampoo commercial and it was this, um, and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. So it's a, it's all about that exponential growth and outward help that, that can be there. So I hope somebody hears this and uh, takes a look at your LinkedIn profile and makes some suggestions that will help you or, you know, has an idea for a a job for you. But I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I can't thank you enough. It's been really fun. And it's, it's, I appreciate telling my story for those people that don't like to speak freely, that are in the same position or even worse, because again, I think that, they will find what they need if they can hang on. Just hang on.
0: That's great advice. Just hang on. Thanks, Stephen. This is Ray Thorn Krueger with the 50 Project Series on HR Latte. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.